Spring has sprung in the capital region, sort of. It's been taking its sweet time, but temperatures are starting to go up, trees are starting to bloom, and the impact of the global COVID-19 pandemic is starting to ripple out into the summer season. On this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the top stories in the Times Union. The big question, of course, is what will happen at Tanglewood? We'll hear about how the pandemic is threatening to sideline the Saratoga Racecourse meet. I would bet every dollar I got that they're going to have a meet at Saratoga, but they're not going to have any fans. And we'll hear the tale of a would-be alligator in Schenectady. I would have loved to see how they would have wrangled that alligator and tried to get it out of that pond. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast, a look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. Let's start with a look at what happened at the Times Union this week. I'm here once again with Casey Seiler, our intrepid editor. Uh, Casey, let's start with the top stories this week in the paper and on timesunion.com. It was an interesting week. I think what we're seeing is is kind of a pivot from covering the crisis on kind of a regular day-by-day basis, although there's still lots of news there, needless to say, as as we follow our, you know, our confirmed cases of coronavirus and COVID-19 and, and of course, the fatalities from it. But we're also starting to see more and more stories about how this is just changing our lifestyle and will continue to change our lifestyle on into the later spring, on into the summer, and even beyond. While it's certainly not the most important thing on earth, I would draw attention to the fact that the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown just on Wednesday decided to postpone its beloved induction ceremony and push it all the way back to uh, to 2021. Essentially, this year's class, which has some very high-profile names in it, is going to get is going to get pushed back to to 2021. Now, a lot of people expected that to happen, of course, but but still, it's kind of a is a, a bit of a lash across everybody's back when when the order does finally come down. This was the same week, of course, that the high school athletic association in New York State kind of finally said another expected decision that all competition for the rest of of this school year was going to be suspended as well. Steve Barnes uh, had an outstanding story that people can read on timesunion.com about the decision by Barrington Stage that kind of went in the opposite direction from what we've already heard from a number of theatrical summertime presenters in our region. And they said that they were going to go ahead with kind of an altered schedule of shows that would present the least possible danger to audiences. So instead of, for example, a big production of The Merry Wives of Windsor or something like that. They're going to be doing one-person shows. They are going to be making sure that when they sell tickets, they're in blocks of two or three that are separated from other blocks of two or three by by enough space to, to maintain social distancing. So it's interesting. That, of course, is a, a smaller size presenter when you compare it to something like the Williamstown Theater Festival, which has 
a great big enormous uh, theater there on the Williams College campus. The big question, of course, is what will happen at Tanglewood? Tanglewood is much like the Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremony, a large, uh, you know, mass audience type of place. And we're still kind of waiting. That's kind of the big shoe still to drop, waiting to see what what Tanglewood does, whether they are able to go ahead with some kind of similarly altered schedule, or if they just decide that the, the shed is essentially going to remain dark for the entire summer. That decision has got to be coming pretty soon because, of course, people have to be able, musicians and staff and everybody else, have, they have to be able to plan out their, their summers. Yeah, I mean, this week we had a lot of sobering news about a lot of our beloved summer traditions, so there will be more to come on that front. Last week, we had a very successful back-to-business event, and we are going to have another one. Can you give us a little preview? Yeah, the first of, of these four sessions that we've done in partnership with Hugh Johnson Advisors was devoted to what businesses need to do to reopen, you know, in sort of a smart, kind of staged way. Next week, Tuesday at 9 a.m., broadcasting live on the Times Union's Facebook page, we'll talk about what businesses can do to open up access to capital, whether it's, you know, loans from commercial banks or outreach to investors, be they institutional investors or individuals as well. I think it's going to be another really good discussion. Folks can go to timesunion.com and go to our Eventbrite page to sign up for it. It's free. It's, it's a very good conversation. Hugh Johnson, who as noted is kind of the dean of our regional financial advising community, is going to offer a, a bit of a brief introduction looking at some of the, the most recent numbers, including you know, where the market's at, the, um, the rather sweeping and sobering uh, reports that have been coming out from, from federal sources as well. So I would encourage everybody to take part. It's, it's, a, it's a really good conversation. If you have a business, uh, it's, it's of course a really good tool. Well, we're looking forward to that. And you can find out more information on timesunion.com about that event and registering for it. Lastly, uh, the Times Union recently got a mention from a very unlikely source or a very unlikely person in a very unlikely place. Can you talk about that? Yes. Stephen King, the, of course, best-selling author, has a new collection of novellas out called If It Bleeds, and in, uh, in, one of the, uh, in one of the four uh, stories, the narrator identifies himself as being a Times Union reporter. And it also notes that he is uh, a, a regular attendee, or it describes having a beer with somebody on the Times Union's IT team at the Madison Poorhouse. Now, Jess, you and I both live in, in Albany's verdant Pine Hills. Uh, I am closer to the Madison uh, poor house than you are. It's it's uh, it's right around uh, the corner from me, as it were. And uh, uh, I look. I've been a Stephen King fan since I was about twelve or thirteen years old. And you know, reading all those books and terrifying myself uh, from a very very early age. And so, as, as I noted in my Sunday column, uh, this is almost like being reverse stalked. You know, by <laughs> who you've really admired for a long time. But it did send me back to. Uh, to pick up, I still have a number of the Stephen King books that I that I had on my shelf. Of course, I can't. I'm going to have a hard time, or it's going to take me a while to get a copy of his new one. Even though uh, many of our bookstores, especially our our good independent bookstores, 
are still open and doing mail order business. The New York State Writers Institute just launched an initiative where they're pointing up the difficulties that are being faced by, uh, by local bookstores. So I, I got to get me a copy of the new Stephen King, but it did send me back to my bookshelf to pick up a couple of his books that I haven't read in, in years and years. There's a certain, uh, a certain comfort food aspect to them. And uh, I hope everybody is, is finding at least a, a little bit of time for a good read in addition to what they read in the Times Union. Indeed, indeed. And many people are drawing parallels to Stephen King's famous epic, epic, epic novel, The Stand, uh, which I am a big fan of myself. That's, that's his Lord of the Rings, as he described it. And it's, it's good. I would not recommend it for reading right now, however, Jess. Indeed. Maybe it is a better is a better one to pick up or uh, Pet Cemetery, or something like that. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, the one to pick up is Different Seasons, which includes the novellas that ended up being Stand By Me, the, the movie that ended up being Shawshank Redemption, a terrific collection that I read when I was, probably came out when I was, I don't know, 16 years old. And I, I remember just gobbling it up when I was a teenager. It still, it still holds up really well. And those are some of my favorite movies as well. Well, listen, thanks for joining us this week, Casey. We'll touch back with you next week. Will do. Good talking to you. The fate of one of the defining elements of the region's summer season is uncertain. What happens with the Saratoga Racecourse meet amid the pandemic has yet to be determined. So I checked in with Times Union sports writer and horse racing expert Tim Wilkin. They're off in the run happy Travers. Where would you place your bets on what's going to happen with Saratoga? You know what, Jessica? It reminds me of that of that line in The Godfather Part Two, Michael Corleone asked Rocco Lampone if it was difficult to assassinate somebody. And he said, difficult, not impossible. Ah, okay. So, so there's I, a little ray of hope. I heard Governor Cuomo this morning also talking about that. But he was talking about hard to open up with fans in the stands. Mm-hmm. Naira right now is not looking to open up with fans in the stands. They just want to get their their product back and running. First off, they got to get Belmont Park opened up. They're hoping that once the Cuomo's pause is over in May, that they can maybe open up Belmont Park at the end of May, early June, and run what is left of their spring meet without any fans in attendance. Mm-hmm. And then they're hoping to do the same thing at Saratoga. But there's a lot of different pieces there that, might make it problematic. The first is, you know, some people say, why don't you just, if you can't have fans, why don't you just stay at Belmont Park? Why ship everybody up north to Saratoga? Because that's bringing in at least a thousand people from downstate, the epicenter of this disease, into a new area. I don't know how people would react to that. And when we're talking about mainly the people that work on the backstretch, the people, the grooms, the exercise riders, the hot walkers, they have to be here to take care of the horses. It, it, it opens up a whole can of worms because they have to live somewhere. A lot of them live on the backstretch, but a lot of people that come up here, trainers and even some owners, and they have to rent a place to live. And how many people are going to want to rent out their houses now in this, in this time? Because where are they going to go? Because they don't yeah. have, a lot of people don't have any money. If they were to open up Saratoga, there would definitely be no fans. I think that uh, having no fans is better than having no racing because Mm -hmm. people can still bet the races on their computers. And the reason they don't want to run the Saratoga meet downstate 
is because the Saratoga brand is so strong. Betting Saratoga races at Belmont Park or even at Aqueduct would not be the same as betting them at Saratoga. And um, if they're allowed to do it, they will do it. They will open up Saratoga. You know, and it's not their call. It is the call of the governor. It's the call of the health department. It's the call of um, the gaming commission. They all got to give their blessing to, to Nyra to be able to open up. I can see Cuomo's part because you don't want to have fans in there because you can't social distance at a racetrack. I mean, the box seats, there's five seats in the thing that's like five feet, five feet. You cannot, <laughs> you cannot social distance if you're in a betting window because can you imagine a minute to post and you're six feet, 30 feet away from somebody? There'll be, there'll be riots and there'll be a murder up at Saratoga if you do that. People oh can't get their bets in. We'd and like to avoid um, that. <laughs> in the backyard, another issue. It just won't work with fans at social distancing. It won't work at a racetrack. Mm-hmm. And Naira's, you know, there's people talking saying, well, maybe midway through the meet, you could let 10,000 people in. Well, who, who decides what 10,000 people get to come in? Are you going to take everybody's temperature when they come into the track? Are other tracks and meets across the country able to pull this off without fans? Are they still able to have their seasons? These other tracks are, have been able to do it. And they're tracks in Florida, tracks in Arkansas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, they're all doing bang-up work with their handles because people are betting it. And Saratoga is one of the biggest appeals to people betting horse races. They would do well on their all-source handle. I mean, it's, you know, they're, not, they're not making money on the hot dogs that they sell at Saratoga, believe me. What would really suffer is the town because you know people aren't coming into the town. You're not getting people going to the restaurants and the bars, which we don't even know if they'll be open. I mean, Saratoga, the town, is going to take a huge hit. These are uncertain times. We've never had anything like this. So I just hope they are able to open. It'll give me something to do this summer. <laughs> well, certainly. But so you mentioned just a second ago that this has never happened before. Surely there have been cases in history where the track has had to close during the season. Well, there was times when the meet wasn't run at all during World War II. I mean, for three years, the Saratoga meet was running at Belmont because there was a restriction on travel during the World War. I mean, last year, they lost a full day because of heat. There's been times when that has happened, when oppressive heat has caused the track to shut down. It's never happened at Saratoga before where there's been a full meet that didn't run because of things you can't control. During the war, they didn't run, but they ran at Belmont Park. Do you think that this will change the way Naira does business or, you know, the way the sport is run all over the country? Do you have any sense of that? I think what you're going to have, you're going to get people that are involved with the sport, you know, like owners that aren't, the ones that don't have the deep pockets, they're going to have to get out of it because they can't afford it. I mean, just because they're not running, these, these owners still have to pay to keep these horses in training. So it, it costs up to, you know, maybe between $100 and $130. Like if you were to own one horse, you'd have to pay that every day to the trainer to keep the horse in training with feeding him and training fees. And that doesn't include if he has to go to see a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an expensive, expensive business. Yeah. And so yeah. it's a big, big problem when they're not running. Sounds like it's a pretty dire situation for a lot of people involved in the sport. It is. It is. What are your thoughts going forward? Like, I mean, you, you think no fans, but there will be racing. Is that, I would is that bet where you're every dollar I got? I would bet every dollar I got that they're going to have a meet at Saratoga, 
but they're not going to have any fans. And that's going to tick off a lot of people. Although maybe it won't because maybe they can't afford to come up here anyway. A lot of the locals will be upset that they can't get in there, but it's, it's the only way they're going to be able to have racing in Saratoga without fans. But the one thing they're going to, Naira's going to have to do, they better get a lot of security up there because there are a lot of places where people can sneak in all over that track. Trust me, I've been up there I, and I know where they are. <laughs> but it's not like they could do anything once they got into the track because, uh, you know, there's no bedding windows, there's no food, there's no anything. If they open up at Saratoga, you know, the media would be allowed in, I would, I'm, a, I'm assuming, and I have pretty good knowledge that that would happen. But it would, be the most, it would be the most weird thing I've ever covered in my life, I think, if I was to cover a horse race with no fans. And if I go to the Kentucky Derby this year, they probably won't have any fans either. And they get 150,000 people every year. It's just uh, it's the new normal. I mean, I don't think we'll have any sporting events with mass gatherings until they get a vaccine for this coronavirus. And it's just scary. I mean, I've talked to people in colleges, and they, they don't know if they're going to be even be back on campus in the fall, mm. which is scary enough as it is. For your perspective as a sports reporter during this time, I mean, what are – what? What went through your head when, you know, all sports were canceled earlier, you know, a month ago? Like, what are you, what are you thinking as a sports reporter? I never, I never, ever thought it would be like this. I mean, I remember the weekend before the proverbial thing hit the fan, I was in New Haven, Connecticut, covering union hockey in the playoffs. They got eliminated on a Sunday night. It was back in Albany on well, late Sunday night. And like two days later, everything started going crazy. I mean, it, you know, I never thought that they'd be canceling the NCAA tournament. And, you know, you know we, and they, we had games scheduled for that in Albany. I never thought that would happen. The NBA, Major League Baseball. I mean, it's, it's, just, it, it's just insane that, that all of this could happen. I mean, this is stuff that happens in movies. Well, I really appreciate you joining me and giving me your insights on what you think is going to happen with Saratoga and beyond. Uh, and we'll have to check back with you soon because I'm sure updates are going to be coming in a matter of weeks, if not sooner. I, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, uh, we'll have to check in after the pause is over. After the break, the story behind the search for an elusive alligator in a Schenectady park. If you're enjoying this podcast... Take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union member today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome back to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. The mighty American alligator, or alligator mississippiensis, is a crocodilian reptile native to the southeastern United States. They're highly unlikely to be found in nature north of the Carolinas. The odds of finding one in Schenectady? Near impossible. Yet, this week, reporter Paul Nelson found himself reporting on a possible gator sighting there. I caught up with him on video chat to hear more. You had um, a, a very unexpectedly sensational story this week. Can you tell me about what you wrote about? Let me just kind of walk you through the way things kind of unfolded. So I, I, I got a call on uh, Monday morning. You know, I, I got a tip sent telling me that uh, apparently there had been a sighting of what appeared to be an alligator 
in a pond in Steinmetz Park in Schenectady. So after I got the tip, you know, I said, hey, I need to confirm this because you know how it works out with tips. Sometimes they hit or miss. So figured I, I had some people that I can reach out to. So I called uh, the Goose Hill Neighborhood Association president, president because, you know, the pond is in Steinmetz Park. It's in located in the uh, Goose Hill section of Schenectady. So I knew that if anybody, she can, you know, confirm whether there had been this sighting and people were talking about it. And sure enough, I get her on the phone and she says, yeah, I mean, this, you know, it's on Facebook and I've, you know, fielded a bunch of calls and people have told me, that, you know, they see this creature that appears to look like an alligator. And it just so happened that she herself, you know, she doesn't live too far from Steinmetz Park. So she was actually out there. I don't know if you can remember Saturday, it was a gorgeous day. So she was out in the park for a couple hours and, you know, she just kind of recalled to me, yeah, I did look in the pond and I saw something that to me at that time looked like uh, an, an unusually large branch. So it didn't really strike her as anything unusual, but then, you know, in retrospect, she's thinking could that potentially or possibly could have been, you know, what everybody thinks might be uh, an alligator. So, I mean, uh, and then after that, I called up, you know, Mayor Gary McCarthy, he's the mayor of Schenectady, and he, you know, confirmed to me that, yeah, he had heard, you know, about the rumors that there could be this, you know, creature, this alligator lurking in, uh, in the pond there. So from there, it, it just took off. I mean, then the next step after I got that, I mean, I actually, you know, typed something because I'm saying to myself, could this be, could it really be an alligator in a lot of places Schenectady? So, you know, I typed something up and I contacted the editors and we got it online and from there, you know, I just shot out there. I went out to the park and, you know, people were out there and uh, there were, I don't think there was any police at that time. Now, just kind of going back to the tips that indicated to me, yeah, the police were out there, you know, they had cordoned off the area. When I got out there, I did see that they had set up, uh, a, it's a portable camera, like on the water's edge of the park, I mean, of the pond, excuse me, so they can, you know, see if, you know, maybe they caught a glimpse of, you know, this uh, creature and, and then, that, like I said, I just started talking to people. This one woman who actually posted some pictures that she took, she was in the park, I think also on Saturday, she posted some pictures that she had taken. And you, you can see in the picture, it does appear to be, because the pictures were somewhat grainy, but you could see like the jagged edges of what could potentially have been an alligator. Then, then too, it could have been some odd creature, what have you. So there were some pictures there, albeit, you know, not, the best photos, but it's kind of lent some credence to, yeah, there is something, you know, kind of lurking in that pond. Wow. Well, that must have provided a nice distraction for you and for the people of, of the neighborhood. You know, everybody's thinking about the pandemic and coronavirus. And now here we have, you know, what could be an alligator or could be Steinmetz Park's Loch Ness Monster. I mean, what, what do you yeah, think? And that it's so funny that you said that because Mayor McCarthy did kind of crack a joke. Yeah, we have a Loch Ness Monster in, in the pond, but apparently the DEC, um, the State um, Department of uh, Environmental Conservation, saw the story that the Times Union had posted and I had, you know, planned on obviously reaching out to them because I understand that they had officers that had responded to the park, but they, you know, uh, reached out to me. They sent me an email, you know, and saying that we had some of our officers out there earlier Monday morning, I think about 10 o'clock or so, and we determined that it was actually a snapping turtle, a large snapping turtle with like a 16-inch Shell, I think, is what they had said. So wow. right there, I mean, you know, any, any thoughts of it possibly, you know, being, uh, you know, that gator just kind of went up in smoke. So it turned out 
you know, it wasn't, you know, the alligator that everybody thought that it was. It was, you know, a, a snapping turtle. But like you said, I mean, with everything going on with the pandemic and everything, it was just sort of a, a weird story. I mean, you don't come across these stories too often. So it just kind of, you know, provided some reprieve from, you know, this madness with the coronavirus. And it was a lighthearted story. And, uh, you know, I think it, it was, I had fun covering it and people were getting into it. I mean, I talked, like I said, I talked to the one woman who, you know, took some pictures over the weekend. She said to me, yeah, some kids from a local, uh, there's like a, a municipal housing uh, project at, uh, nearby. And, you know, some of the kids were saying, yeah, we're going to go over there. And, you know, we're going to, you know, our kids are, we're going to go over there. And we're going to see if we can, you know, try to, you know, grab the alligator, try to catch the alligator, which is, you know, obviously crazy. I mean, nobody would ever <laughs> do that. But you know how kids are. I mean, yeah. it was, everybody was kind of getting into it and the whole neighborhood was just having fun with it. So, I mean, it provided just like, you know, some reprieve from all the madness with the coronavirus. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it went crazy online. It was our top story for several days. You know, it was a it was a big story. And, you know, like you said, you don't get to cover something like this all the time. So that must have been for you personally, you know, and, and what we're going through here in the newsroom, that must have been something else. Yeah, it was really interesting just to get out there and just to, you know, see people just taking back by this and you know the, just a prospect like yeah they, we could have you know an alligator in, in the pond and I should say because there was something of a similar incident in 2016 and this was actually in another park in Schenectady in uh, Iroquois Lake in Central Park a much larger park in Schenectady sort of on the other side of the city where there was actually uh, it was an alligator gar that you know was in the water over there in Iroquois Pond and that's who a lot of people really got into it. I mean, because initially there was a lifeguard who caught the fish and, you know, just threw it back in the water. He said, hey, I just wanted the fish to live. And then after that, he posted something online. And then, you know, that just drew a lot of fishermen out to the pond. Hey, they want to catch this weird looking alligator gar. And it was about three weeks. This was an elusive fish. But finally, you know, a fisherman caught the, the alligator gar. So that was, you know, and that too, you know, it was similar because people were really getting into it and it, you know, it just grabbed a lot of headlines and people were like this weird looking, you know, fish. Cause I, I to be quite honest with you, I mean, I was like, alligator gar. I didn't know what an alligator gar I had to, I had to go Google it and say, Hey, it showed me the picture and it's not the prettiest fish, but like I said, people really got into it. And I was like going back to the summer of 2016. So I think back then even to Mayor McCarthy, I'd offered like a hundred dollars. Anybody who catches the fish, you know, will give you the city will give you a hundred dollars. I think he was gonna just pay for it out of pocket, and that just kind of kind of fed the frenzy even more. <laughs> now, as far as alligators go, I mean, we don't have alligators up here naturally because it's not the climate's not not suited to them. But if it had been an alligator, you know, what would DEC and the city have done? You know, like, did they, did they mention what they would have done? That's, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I know because there has been instances because, you know, I did kind of look into this. I mean, not around here. I think there's been cases where they have found alligators. I think in Binghamton, I think was the closest, but the DEC, I don't know. How, that's a good question. I, I don't know how, to be quite honest with you, the city or DEC would have handled it. I mean, I'm sure they're, they're pros. I mean, they know how to deal with a situation like that. But that's something I certainly would have loved to see how they would have wrangled that alligator and tried to get it out of that pond. And, you know, so that, that's a question that, you know, I, it's, I wish I would have seen it unfold because it would have been pretty interesting, I'm sure. 
Now, I wonder, you know, maybe in like 50 or 100 years from now, you know, they're going to look back at, or the, a legend is going to evolve. And, and if it does, you know, it becomes the next Loch Ness Monster or whatever. What do you think they would have named it? Oh, well, <laughs> uh, the, the gator that never you know, came afloat or something like that. Or, you know, the, the mystery gator that never surfaced. There we go. The mystery gator that never surfaced. <laughs> and, Turn out to be a snappy girl. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was thinking right. maybe Steiny versus. Yeah, there we go. You're, you're more creative. You're more creative than I am. That's good. Yeah. We yeah. got time to think about it. We're in a pandemic. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen. Thank you so much for joining me and and telling me a little more about this story. No, thank you so much. I appreciate your time, Jessica. And be safe out there. That's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, head over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. And stay safe out there.